Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. So as I mentioned, we're going to be continuing our series on the, uh, throughout the Gospel of John called The Way to the Father. Uh, today we're going to be in John 14, so if you'd like to start turning there in your Bible or scrolling there in your phone or whatever it may be. Continuing this series on the way to the Father and how Jesus reveals that by asking the question each week, who is God? That's the question we're asking. And we're allowing the words and actions of Jesus in John to illustrate to us who the Father is, who God the Father is. And it's a good thing because that's what Jesus said he came to do, as we'll see today in John 14, verse 9. says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So we're asking the right question of the right person in John. We're asking Jesus to reveal who God is. Before we dive right into John 14 today, I want to tell a story. Um, I do apologize up front. I have told this story before. I'm starting to run low. I'm kidding. But uh, I have told this story before. So apologies if you've heard it, but I'm the punchline of it. So that's permission enough to tell the story again. So when I, when I was in college, uh, I came home for a, summers because I went to school close enough to home. That I, I came home and the, the church that I went to in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, I interned there as an assistant youth pastor one of the summers between years of, of college. And uh, there was another intern there um, and she was from here in Chicago and I just met her that summer and we were interning. We had a great time. And as can often happen uh, when you are serving the Lord together, I developed feelings for this girl. Um, Jess knows this story. It's all good. (laughs) So, being the intrepid, upfront, 20-something young man that I was, I was never accused of being intrepid and upfront in my 20s. um, I, it was getting towards the end of the summer, and I was like, you know what? I got to make my feelings known. I'm going to do it. So, it was one, you know, bright, Jacksonville, Florida, summer, sunny afternoon. And I took it upon myself to say to her, you know, how I felt. And she took it upon herself to say to me, I don't feel that same way. I said, okay, that's cool. And it really was, it really was fine. I was just like, all right, you know, I just thought I'd put that out there. I'd rather be awkwardly honest than have something sit there and not be addressed. And it was great. And we went on about our day. And later on that day, she came back to me and said she had a question. And I was like, oh, you do? And she said, I just, I just wanted to make sure I, I was clear and didn't leave any room for doubt. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, no, we're good. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. I, we're good. If I had any lingering doubts, they have been put to bed for sure now. And um, so thanks for being clear. <laughs> so, when you must be clear and you must leave no room for doubt, you take it upon yourself to explain to the utmost so that there can be sureness, right? She took it upon herself to explain to me so that I could be sure. And, you know, you can't falter for that. She wanted to make sure that I was sure and get rid of any doubt. This is what Jesus is about to do for his disciples in the beginning of John 14. He's going to address 
the lingering, nagging questions and, and doubts that are still present in the disciples' mind. And he's going to start in 14, and he's going to do this for the next four chapters until we then, circumstantially, we get into his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Circumstantially, we're actually very close to that. But he's going to take these four or five chapters and do this long discourse to his disciples, addressing, bringing sureness to them. Which is great because as we explore that and hear from Jesus, he's going to work on our sureness too. That's what I'm excited about. So Jesus is turning his attention less to the crowds, less to the onlookers. We're not in the temple courts anymore where Jesus is kind of, kind of teaching out to everyone and some are saying forget it and some are saying that's great. He's turning a, less to that and more towards the intimacy of his disciples and to his future church. And he's speaking more deliberately to his followers now than just the general listener. And he knows they'll need sureness over anxiety. And he knows they'll need his promises over their doubts. And especially with what's coming in the next few days, his disciples will really, really need this. Because Jesus knows what's coming. And for his church, he knows his church will need this sureness over the next few millenniums until Jesus comes again. And that's you and me. So while it's circumstantially relevant to the disciples, it is relevant to us, maybe even more so, and we'll see why. You see, we're getting to, uh, in the story here of the the Gospel of John, as it's moving along, we're getting close to a post-resurrection world. Jesus knows that. His disciples don't know that. But Jesus knows he's not going to be physically present in body on the earth any longer. So that's going to bring up some doubts and some anxiety as this starts to dawn on the disciples and they start to come to this realization. So before we look at what Jesus says, let's look at what's going on, the stuff that kind of brings up those doubts in the disciples. This is going to help us understand the simplicity, what I believe is the real simple power of what Jesus is actually saying. It's not just dry theology and assurance that we can just put in our back pocket. It's not just theology in a vacuum. There's stuff going on here that Jesus is responding to. So it's like we said uh, a couple weeks before. We're going to look at the context before we look at the text. And then I think when we understand that, Jesus' words are actually very simple and actually hit home very quickly. Very quickly. So first, we have to ask the question, what's going on? And what is, what, what's going on is, these are very anxious times for Jesus' disciples. These are anxious times. There's a couple reasons why. You know, back when Jesus was last in Jerusalem, just a little bit before, and he was teaching at the Feast of Tabernacles, and he was going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and the religious leaders as he's teaching in the temple courts, and some people are responding, he's the Messiah. Other people are responding, he's demon-possessed. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are responding with, we've got to get this guy. And they try to trap him and and argue with him. And each time, Jesus emerges with the authority. And even the climax of that is even him saying, you don't shepherd God's people well. I'm the good shepherd. And I reveal that God the Father is a good shepherd. That's where we last left Jesus in Jerusalem. And then he goes out of Jerusalem. And he goes out into the surrounding villages. One of which is Bethany, where Mary and Martha are from. And Mary and Martha... Their dear brother Lazarus has died. 
And what does Jesus do? He raises him from the dead. He raises him from the dead right there in John 11. The disciples must be thinking, this is a good time to be following Jesus. Dude just raised him from the dead. Four days dead. And Jesus says, come forth. If I'm a disciple of Jesus at that point, I'm thinking, this is awesome. We're two miles outside of Jerusalem. Passover is coming. And this guy just raised him from the dead. He is so the Messiah, I can't even stand it. I mean, let's be honest. Can, uh, uh, just allow yourself to be there for a second. That's awesome. Well, now they're in Jerusalem. And how did they get to Jerusalem? The crowd of people who heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead kept telling more people and more people, and that crowd heard that Jesus is going to Jerusalem for Passover, and they get together and throw palm branches down and say, Hosanna, here's our king. It's a good time to be walking into Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is also tense right now. See, it's Passover celebration, which means this city is swelled way past capacity. There's so many people packed here. Tensions are high. And people have been wondering, the scriptures say, is Jesus coming? Is he coming back? People are wondering. And you know who else is wondering? The Pharisees and teachers of the law. And chapter 11 tells us that when they heard about this Lazarus nonsense, they said, anybody who sees Jesus, you let us know because we're going to arrest him. So Jerusalem is also the danger zone. It's the epicenter of all that great conflict of some people thinking Jesus is the Messiah, some people thinking he's demon-possessed and, and light to the law and not of God at all. And it's also the place where all the powerful people who want to end Jesus' life and ministry are. And that's where we are right now. So it's all fun and games when we're out in the villages and we're raising people from the dead. And we're out in Ephraim, another small village where it's just Jesus and his disciples. And they're out in the wilderness. And oh, what an intimate time that must be. And how great that is. But now we're in the city where either amazing things or calamity can happen. Really. So on top of all that, Jesus is kind of acting, acting a little bit strange from the disciples' perspective. So we're starting to enjoy the evening meal it's a little bit tense, but it's great. We're with Jesus. And, he, and then as Steve preached last week, Jesus, Jesus gets down. He starts washing the disciples' feet like a, like a bond slave. And then says, as I've, as I've done this, so, so I've set an example so you can do it to one another. Oh, okay. That's great. And then Jesus, the conversation starts getting into somebody's going to betray him. But not just somebody, one of them. He says in, in, in chapter 13, verse 21, after he, Jesus, had Said that, or after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one he meant. So not only is Jesus saying he's going to be betrayed, that's not comforting, one of them is going to do it. And the conversation of, at the end of chapter 13 even culminates with Peter saying, no matter what happens, I'd give my life for you. And Jesus says, really? You're going to deny me three times before this night's even done. Peter? Loyal Peter? No way. Imagine being in that room. And it, it even seems as if Jesus, and this could be a sermon unto itself, is starting to hint at a mission of some sort for these guys. And, and look at... Um, 
I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. But chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. In the midst of talking about this betrayal and denial, and all of a sudden, I'm going to, wait, 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 it's our job to proclaim you. I'm, I'm, stop, 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 stop. Jesus? You just walked in on palm branches, dude. Can we just have evening meal? But the biggest thing that's going on that makes this anxious times for the disciples is Jesus, once again, is talking about leaving. He's talking about going. In verse 33, Jesus says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. This is only the disciples now hearing this. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. See, it was great, I'm sure, for the disciples, and probably a little puffed out their chest a little bit when, to hear Jesus say that to the crowds. I'm going, and you can't come with me right now. Yeah. That's right. But now he's saying it to them. And by the way, what's up with Jesus saying that he's going at all? No, no, no. We just walked into Jerusalem. You're supposed to be king. Nate's going to talk about this at Good Friday. You're supposed to be king, Jesus. We're the place where amazing things can happen. And so how about instead of you leaving and leaving us a task, how about we flip that and you stay and you do the task and we get to stand with you? That's what I would be thinking. And there's starting to be this sinking, desperate, tense, anxious, worrying sense that there is another plan afoot besides Jesus kicking the door down and sitting on a throne. These are terrifying times for the disciples. It's like that you ever been to an amusement park? And you know that, like, that first hundred feet of the roller coaster? You're, and you know, you're all like, oh, this is going to be whatever. But you know what's coming. You know, it's that kind of buildup. All these elements colliding. Judas has just left, we know, to go betray Jesus. They didn't know that at the time. They're now, it's night in Jerusalem at the evening meal. Jesus is acting strangely, and he says he's going to leave them. And I just can't imagine the despairing hush that hits the room. And look at what Jesus says, the very first words of chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm so glad he started there. I'm so glad he started there. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I know of your doubts. I know of your fears. I understand these are anxious times, but I'm good. And you can trust me. And in that second half of verse 1, he says, you believe in God, believe in me. Believe in me. Jesus is leaving soon, but here's what he's doing right now to his disciples. He is taking the disciples through the transition of sight to faith. Sight to faith. Now, we know from Hebrews 11 that faith, that very famous definition, faith is the evidence of things unseen. And Jesus is introducing the need for his disciples' faith, which they do have, they do believe in him, but their faith to be strong in the absence of their sight. Because to this point, they've had sight too. We sing today in 2015, the great hymn, you know, Lord haste the day when my faith 
will be sight. Because we have faith without sight right now. Well, the disciples actually had sight of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, this is going to have to transition to faith. And you're going to need to believe in me. You believe in God. I and the Father are one. Believe in me. Even in the absence of your sight. Because it's going to be absent soon. (laughs) So the disciples have troubled hearts. But those two thoughts, I'm good and believe in me, are how Jesus is going to spend the next several moments simply revealing the Father in what I believe is a sense of our God makes a way. Our God makes a way. Jesus requires faith from his disciples, but he's also going to remind them that he is faithful. And he's also going to remind them that he promises his disciples that he will be faithful even after he leaves. So we're going to put to bed those lingering doubts. And yes, it's anxious times, but my leaving is not a disaster In fact, my leaving is the culmination of my obedience to the Father. I have to go. My leaving will usher in a new explosion of the advancement of my kingdom through the disciples, through my future church, to the glory of God, and usher in a time of never-before-seen blessing and power. Jesus must go, but it's a thrilling entrance into a new covenant. Not an unmitigated disaster. So let's look at what Jesus says in the first part of John 14. You with me? Is this okay? Tense, anxious, good, good. No. Let's do verse 1 again of 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I'll take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus is not. He's challenged his disciples to start moving from sight into faith. And he reminds them firstly that our God makes a way to be with him. Our God makes a way to be with him. Jesus isn't just leaving to leave. It's not a willy-nilly choice in God's plan. It wasn't just the next thing in the script. Exit Jesus through the clouds. Perfect. You know, it's not just that. Jesus is going, as he says, to secure the destiny of all believers now and forever. He's taking a specific route to a specific place, his father's house. And that route is going to accomplish the destiny of the believer along the way. So that route goes through the cross, where he's going to pay the penalty of sin through death. That route goes through the resurrection, where he's going to have victory over death. It's going to have his ascension into heaven to be into his father's house. And while he's there, he's not kicking back. He's preparing a place. Just think about that for a second. Jesus, from that time to now, has been preparing a place. I kind of want to be there. That's exciting. So yes, Jesus must go to the Father, that sight becoming faith, but in doing so, he'll secure the eternal life and destiny for all who believe in him. He has to go, but with what he's accomplishing, it's good that he's going. And then Jesus reminds his disciples very simply to believe in him and that he promises to prove faithful. In verse two, where he says, my father's house, it's got the room. It's got the room. If it didn't, he appeals to what they know of him. If, if it didn't, I'd tell you. 
If this was limited, I'd tell you. And I'm coming back for you. So trust me, I'm good. I I, I have faith. I have to go to the Father. And then in verse 4, he says something amazing. He says, and you know the way to the place that I'm going. You already know the way, guys. Well, Thomas, the most questioning, one of my favorite of the disciples, pipes up in verse 5. And after Jesus starts to bring this home, he asks, uh, Thomas asks a very simple question. Let's pick it up in verse 5. Thomas says, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? You see, there's, there's still that anxiety that's got the blinders on. You keep talking about leaving Jesus. We don't, we don't, stop it, stop it. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I'm trying to make this transition to faith from sight. And Jesus reiterates here what he has said throughout his entire ministry. He reiterates what he said throughout his entire ministry. Let's pick it up in verse 6. I know it's a famous verse, but let's just hear what Jesus is doing in response to this question from the disciples. And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Another question comes up. Well, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus, just just show us the Father. Can we just cut through this? Jesus answered, verse 9, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. How many times have we heard that in the Gospel of John? Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus is reminding his disciples that our God doesn't just make a way to be with him. Our God makes a way to know him. Our God has made a way to know him. You see, we already know from John 10 that, that Jesus is the gateway to the Father. No one enters into the Father but through Jesus. And we've seen all through John that Jesus is about revealing the Father. And we also know now that Jesus is saying that he's going back to the Father. So follow me here, because this was tough for me. Follow me. Jesus has said, I and the Father are one. He's also said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus also has said that he reveals the Father by obeying the Father. I submit to the Father. I have my authority from the Father. I obey the Father. I do nothing but what the Father has commanded me to do. So the only thing that makes revealing the Father possible is Jesus obeying the Father. So the most complete obedience, the fullest obedience possible would result in the fullest revelation possible of the Father, right? You with me? What's the most complete obedience? Obedience unto death. Obedience unto death. So by obeying the Father and leaving and going to the cross, obedience unto death, Jesus will accomplish actually the fullest revelation of the Father. Does that make sense? 
The fullest obedience brings the fullest revelation. So the fullest obedience is at the cross. I've got to go. It's going to accomplish the fullest revelation. Something without which no one, not one of us, could ever say we truly, really know the Father. Because he would not have been fully revealed. Oh, and by the way, simultaneously, the act of going to the cross is all that we already know that it is. It illustrates the fullness of God's love and that our sin is paid for. Excuse me, it illustrates the fullness of God's holiness and that our sin is paid for and the infiniteness of God's love and that he, God, paid it. Jesus has to go. He's got to go. And it's not a disaster. It's good. It's obedience. It's the fullness of revelation of the Father. It's always been building to this. That's why Jesus says, I have to go. That's why Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Our God makes a way to know him. And I'm about to go do it. It's good. It's good. Is that okay? Yeah? It's good. So we know God made a way to be with him, and we know God has made a way to know him, but I still, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm still going to struggle with the fact that Jesus is still going. Even though, even though I, I, I can understand now all the utmost of the things that it will accomplish, there's still this nagging little thing, and that's the fact that he's still leaving us with what seems like a task and a mission. This whole proclaim him and reveal him and people will know you're my disciples by just like, you're still, you're still going and I get all that you're going to accomplish, but I'm still here and I still, there's still something for me to do and you're not here. (laughs) I'm not standing behind you as you're raising Lazarus from the dead going, awesome. You're not going to be here, Jesus. But Jesus has actually accomplished the task of us proclaiming and revealing him too. This is a full service salvation. (laughs) He's actually accomplished this task too. Let's pick it up in verse 12. Jesus continues, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these. I'm just going to read that again. Very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You see, our God isn't leaving us high and dry. He's not leaving us with a great salvation and no way to live it out. Our God makes a way to live now in him. And Jesus' full revelation of the Father and going to the cross is actually that too. You see, right now in 2015, we're already in that post-resurrection place. We are the church. There's no bodily Jesus. There's no physical Jesus right here. We are in the faith that Jesus was transitioning his disciples to. We're the faith yearning for sight. And we will see. We will see. But it's our faith now. And we do have the task of proclaiming him and what he has revealed. 
in a couple weeks, Nate's going to preach on what Jesus goes on to promise from this chapter, and that is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I love where Jesus says, I will ask the Father to give you another counselor, advocate, helper, to come alongside. It's, it's, not, it's, not, just, it's not just the breath of me. It's, an, it's God with you. Emmanuel didn't just happen on a cold night in a stable. God with us is promised. And I'm not going to steal Nate's thunder. <laughs> but before Jesus even does that, I, I, believe, I believe what he does here is he speaks. This is just my conviction. But I believe he speaks to two very important things to his disciples then and his church now. And that is he speaks to the mission and to the destiny of his believers in what he says next. Your mission is you will do the things I've been doing and you will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I hear that and I go, okay. You want to know what your destiny is? You will do the things that I've been doing and you will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I go, okay. Okay. It's all wrapped up in one. It's all wrapped up in one. And mission doesn't come without promise. Look at verse 13. And I will do whatever you asked. And I will do whatever you ask, excuse me, in my name. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now how many of you have ever joked with these passages? I have. When I was growing up, like 7th grade, and like didn't study for that exam. And I'm like, you know, Lord, in Jesus' name, I will take an A on this. Appreciate it. This is, not, this is not Jesus genie. It's not David Copperfield making, you know, uh, in Jesus' name, make this disappear. It's not, it's not an invitation to that. It's an invitation to remember what Jesus is saying. In light of what he's revealed about the Father, he's leaving to fully reveal him. And in light of the fact that people have been believing in Jesus, doing greater things than this means more people will come to believe in Jesus. And what I love about Jesus saying, ask me, ask me, ask me, I will do, is I hear this resounding invitation from Jesus to us to ask him for the unaskable, to ask him for the impossible, because he's already accomplished it. Ask me, ask me, let it glorify the Father. Because when the Father is glorified, the Son is glorified, the Spirit is glorified, ask me for the unaskable things. Wednesday night at prayer, our prayer meeting that I encourage all of you to come to at 6.30, shameless plug. We started going to a place where we were praying for the people in our lives who were, you know, it's like extra lost. (laughs) It's like lost (laughs) 2.0, you know? And it just felt this faith rise to say, God, we, we are calling out for those people. Jesus says, ask me, ask me for the unaskable because I've already done it. And I love that he says that even before he gets to, this, to the point where he says, and I'm going to promise the Holy Spirit. And there's a richness of that. But even before he does, he says, just ask. I've already done it. Our God has made a way to live now in him. Nate, do you want to come up with the band? Yeah. You, like, you want to come preach about the Holy Spirit right now? Is that good? Yeah. Yeah. 
joke. I know it's, I know it's tense times for the disciples. And I know that it's probably the biggest transition period ever in history. Moving from old to new covenant, moving from, the, moving from sight into faith. But Jesus actually, I believe here, begins and ends this section with the same call. And that is what he started with. Believe in me. Believe in me. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I and the Father are one. All these things piling up, these anxieties, these desperations. Believe in me. Believe in me. You know, if, if you're here today and you've never placed faith in Jesus, Jesus says, believe in me. He says, believe in me. Place your faith in me. If you have faith in Jesus, but the times are desperately anxious and they're swirling all around you and you're worried about the disaster of things, he says, believe in me. Believe in me. And to some of us, I believe he's saying, you need to ask me for the unaskable. You need to ask me for the unaskable. You need to believe in me. Just as the band starts to play I, I just if those three things I just want to sit there for just a second if I want to just invite you to stand in just a moment I'm going to turn it back over to, to Chris just to invite you to stand if if you need to ask God for the unaskable whatever that may be I'm not going to qualify that maybe that's someone you're trusting to be saved maybe that's something you're dreaming for maybe it's to dream again whatever the thing that is just out of the reach of asking if that's you, I want to invite you to stand. Maybe there's, there's some of you who need to trust God in the midst of the desperately anxious. And you need to hear the words of the Savior that say, believe in me. Believe in me. Because in the midst of what was looking like was going to be the biggest disaster, I actually know, and the Father actually knows what he's doing. And it's going to bring the greatest blessing. And lastly, if, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and what I mean by know Jesus is you've never had that moment of placing your faith, your belief in him as your savior, I want to invite you to stand as well. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the simplicity of your call. Believe in you. we do, Lord. We, we say that our faith, our everything is in you, Lord. In the midst of trying and disaster and desperate anxiety and worry, Lord, would you just come and would you minister to hearts right now? Holy Spirit, would you just minister to hearts right now? And we say, believe in Jesus Christ. He has done the work thank you, Lord, that you're never knocked out of your plans. There's not a disaster that knocks you out of place. In fact, you reveal yourself and you're good. And Lord, for those of us who need to ask you for the unaskable, would you just bring a rise of faith right now in Jesus' name? I pray that upon hearts in this room in Jesus' name. The things that are so deep, 
so deep that we don't even say them. So miraculous that we can't even hope for them. Things that bodies and minds and hearts have never done and we fear they never will do. People who have never known you but we fear never will know you. We ask you for the unaskable, Jesus. Oh, let faith rise, Jesus. Not because, not because faith is great, but because faith is what you have called us to have. Father, that you're good. Thank you, Father, that you made a way that we can know you and we're, we're a way for us to be with you and to live in you now. That you didn't leave us. We're not left. We're not marooned. going to play for a little bit. I just think it'd be great to stay in this place. And let's just do, I almost never use this phrase, but let's just do business with God. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you minister to your people? Oh, just let faith rise. You're bigger than all, greater than all. I pray for a fresh revelation of you, Jesus. Father, how powerful and mighty your faithfulness surrounds you in the heavens. You've never left us. You don't leave us. We're not left in your dust. Jesus, thank you for fully revealing the Father. 